T-bone, okay? That's the title of my sermon. And again, I wrote down in my sermon, I didn't want to preach this sermon, but God kept compelling me. And so I think we're going to keep in line in the vein of what's been happening with the youth. And God's anointed, what generation? Are you alive right now? Then you can be a part of it. The gang girls are going to be wearing, I mean the gang girls, the garage girls are going to be wearing fatigues. Uh, at, at the T-Bone concert, that's what I heard. The garage girls are going to be wearing fatigues. They're going to be coming down, you know, slipping to 7 or 10 or, you know, that they made in a garage sale, sitting in the front row. Uh, but uh, listen, we need to stay lively. We need it. And that's what the sermon is going to be about today. Bad to the T-Bone. Luke 23. And then we're going to cover quite a bit of scripture here today, so you've got to keep your Bibles handy. Luke 23, beginning in verse 4. It says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Verse 8. Jump down to verse 8. And when Herod, we're dealing with Pilate and Herod, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words. In other words, he asked a lot of questions. But he answered him what? Nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to who? And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before they were at enmity between themselves. There were two different governors and they were, they were at it like Cain, McCain and you know, uh, uh, Bush and Abel and all that stuff. Huh? They'd been, but now, you know, the enemy has ways of coming together when Jesus is on the scene. Now jump to John 18. John 18, verses 33 and 34. Then Pilate, we're still dealing with Pilate, entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, here's a key verse for this morning's sermon. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Father, I pray that we would do our own number for you here this morning. And it would be a great number. That we would be, Lord God, totally into you, Lord God, because you're bad to the bone. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Bad to the T-bone. Now, I've given it that title for two different reasons, and you'll find out near the end why. Now, in these portions of Scripture here that I've read, both in Luke 23 and then in John 18, if ever there, somebody could say that there was a loaded question, it's this one here, that Jesus asks Pilate. It was a very, very loaded question. Okay? This scene in John 18 was loaded with drama. And I began to read last night all about Pilate. And man, you know, it's, it's odd how, how, how Jesus brings him in amidst the maddening crowd because Jesus has come into to Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna, they've said. Uh, and Pilate enters the scene and he thinks, being a governor, being a judge, being a ruler, he thinks it's business as usual. Same old, same old. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to courthouses, but I imagine some of you have. He'll come to judge, you know. And really, would you trip out on public defenders? You ever had public defenders? I know what kind of a crowd I'm talking to. Come on. Huh? 
Uh, we used to have one guy in, 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 in Oxnard, we call him Dump Truck Dunham. You know, take a deal, take a deal, take a deal. You got him everywhere. Just take a deal, take a deal. Go, 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 go. You know, it's all right. Uh, they don't want to go to court. They don't want to have to deal with the, the, the judge, you know. And it's like same old, same old drudgery. And that's the way it is with a lot of judges. They get behind it, same old, same old. Pilate thought he was going to be operating his business as usual. But little did he know that he was going to be face to face with Almighty God on that day. So what happens is, in a sense, God, Christ draws him into Pilate's own little twilight zone. That's what happens. Pilate thought it was going to be business as usual, but all of a sudden it's, he's in the Jesus zone. It's not a regular day. Uh, it's the day. It's the day for Pilate. See, he was used to, Pilate was pretty much used to dealing with phonies and failures and with liars and with cons. But suddenly here he is face to face with Jesus. So Pilate, he asked Christ, are you the king of the Jews? That's what he asked him. But in reply, Jesus asked Pilate a very daring and a very out front question. And he tells him this, are you asking me this? Are you asking me this? Or are you simply repeating what others have asked and said about me? In other words, is this your sincere, heartfelt question, Pilate? Or did the heresy of others put you up to it? Are you with me? In other words, is it really coming from the heart? Do you really mean this question? Or is it just hearsay that you've heard other people hearsay about me? That's what Jesus is asking him. See, while Pilate, while his question may have been a little toying or a little facetious, are you the king of the Jews? The question that Jesus asked Pilate is not toying or messing with Pilate. Matter, matter of fact, Jesus is here as a heart attack. Pilate's question could have been a little facetious. Are you the king of the Jews? Just toying with Jesus, trying to mess with him. Ah, but the question that Jesus asked came fully loaded. Jesus meant his question. He wasn't fooling around. He was putting Pilate on the spot. He thought it was going to be same old, same old. Another day, another dollar. No, not today, Pilate. Sorry, not this time. Uh, am I really your king? Am I really, you know, your savior? Are you really asking me this question? Do you really want to know? See, I don't know if any of you ever played tennis before. But I have. It wasn't that good, but I could try and get the ball back. Uh, but I've seen some of these guys, they, they, you know, with sandlot tennis. Sandlot tennis, where, they, you know, they get the, you get the ball, serve it. But this is what happened. What was happening here was sort of like a, a guy that plays tennis who owns the court. He's the king of the court. He's the bad guy there in, in his neighborhood, and he's, he's a server, and he's playing. Now all of a sudden, some new guy comes to play uh, that he'd never seen before. But he's the king of the court, and he's beating everybody, so this, it's this guy's turn to play. So he hits the ball across, you know, and boom, it comes right back. Then he hits the ball again, volley, and boom, it comes right back. So this time he serves the ball while they're still volleying a little, a little bit harder. Boom, it comes right back. The guy goes, uh-oh, I'm in for this one. I mean, I, I don't know who this guy is, but this guy's somebody. You know, I'm going to have to really be on my game here. That's what happened with Pilate. That's the way it was. Uh, he, he thought he was the king of the court. But when Jesus, and he throws the question, are you the king of the Jews? Pass, come right back. Uh-oh. I'm in for one here. This guy knows how to play. Um, that's what was happening here between Pilate and Jesus. Um, so Jesus asked Pilate this very, very daring question. And he pulls him in, like what I said, into the twilight zone. It was like, oh, my God, this is heavy here now. 
This is not going to be business as usual. See, what Christ was doing was, was what he does with a lot of us. When he wants to touch us and save us and separate us, isolate us. When it's just one-on-one -on -one between you and Jesus, even amidst a maddening crowd. Uh, you ever, ever, God ever done that to you? When you're amidst all kinds of people, but it's just you and Jesus. Maybe this morning, some of you, this is, that's the way it is this morning. You're here amongst people, but it's just between you and God. Uh, as you're listening to my voice, you're listening to another voice. That's the voice of God speaking to you, saying, today's your day. Today's your day. Uh, you thought you were going to business as usual, sermon as usual. Uh-uh. Not today. Bah! The ball's in your court. See, God has a way of pulling you into his own, uh, into himself. Uh, to get us to the point that we can make a judgment regarding his position in our lives on our own. That was between you and Pilate. Come on, not today, Pilate. Uh, who am I, Pilate? Am I just a, you know, a peasant over here from, from Nazareth, a carpenter? Or am I really the king? See, and here's a big key to the sermon this morning. Christ had hope for Pilate. He had hope for him. That's why he isolates us when, when he has hope for us. In my life, when Christ touched my life 26 years ago, most everybody would have said, there's no hope for Steve. But Jesus saw the, hope, the potential in me like he does in you. And he isolates you. He pulls, he pulls you aside. And, and he, because, see, I read the, the opening scripture there in Luke 23 about Herod for a purpose. I'm talking about Pilate this morning, but I, I, I gave you a little chunk of the life of Herod. See, Herod, who was also a, a, a governor, uh, what, when, G, when he asked, the Bible says that he asked Jesus all kinds of questions, but Jesus answered him not. He just zipped his lip, just stood there and didn't say a word because there was no hope for Herod. Herod was already reprobate, if you might say. He was beyond help. He was beyond hope. That's why Jesus didn't say a word to him. Cut him loose. You're headed to hell, sir. You've already had your chance. You've had your opportunity. So Jesus didn't ask, answer the question. But with Pilate, he sees hope. He sees potential in Pilate's life. So he answers him. Matter of fact, if you read the accounts of Pilate, he messes with him all the way to the cross. He's giving Pilate an opportunity to accept Christ. He's giving Pilate an opportunity to be, to, to be certain about his salvation. To be certain about who Jesus is in his life. Ah. Uh, Pilate had hope. Herod was beyond hope. But with Pilate, there certainly was an opportunity to accept Christ into his life. Jesus saw fine possibilities for Pilate. Pilate was still capable of making the right decisions about the most important decision that anybody will ever make on this planet, which has to do with what about Jesus? Pilate still had capabilities and possibilities to live for Christ. That's the reason why Jesus was still holding open the door of his kingdom. Jesus was still opening the door, holding the door open to heaven for Pilate through a question. I hope you haven't heard what I just said. Christ was still opening the door to heaven for Pilate through a question. Uh, he asked him a question. Did you say this? Really, really, truly from you? Or did somebody else say it for you? Because if it was somebody else, I'm going to close the door. And it's over for you. You're just as good as Herod. Uh, but the door's open to heaven, Pilate, if you respond that it was a sincere felt question coming from your heart. Uh, is this a personal question you're asking me, Pilate? Or is it a mindless one? Are you really looking for a savior? 
Do you really want me as your king? Well, Pilate, do you? What do you want? See, what Jesus was doing was inviting Pilate to change secondhand information into a firsthand experience. Bottom line of the sermon here today. That's what he's doing. He said, listen, did you hear this secondhand? Because if you did, you need to exchange your secondhand information into a firsthand experience. It's got to be you between me and you, Pilate. Um, that's why I prayed this morning that you, we would all do our own number for Christ. Because, you know, when you come before the Lord, it's going to just be you and him. Not your friends, not your relatives, not your family. And I was putting a sermon together the other night. I was thinking about, and I've said this before, I just buried my father up in El Buen Pastor Methodist Church. Some of you were there. God bless you. Thank you. But I remember incidents in that church. Listen, family members, bring your children to church. Bring your children to church. My dad used to take me to church. I thank God that he did. We have way better opportunities in life knowing Christ than not coming to church. And I remember being there playing baseball with the pastor's son, Henry Moran. And I'm playing with him. and I'm just a little kid, but I'm going to baseball. And I'm, I, this guy wasn't that good. I was whipping him like crazy. And he was a PK. Uh, God wasn't helping him. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, where's your God? You know, but when we were playing, I remember I asked, telling, I, telling him, telling him. I didn't ask him. I told him. You know, we were talking about some stuff. And he was already in high school. And I go, gee, Henry, it sure is good being born a son of a pastor because you get to go to heaven. And he looked at me and he said, Steve, 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 uh-uh. Just because I'm a PK don't mean that I'm going to heaven. I'll never forget that. It, 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 it just did something to my heart. It, he says, no, no, no. He says, I got to accept Christ on my own. He said, I haven't done that yet. That's why you see me cussing and drinking and smoking and all that stuff. Because I haven't done that yet. I thought, man, because you're a PK, you're automatic. It's a done deal. My son knows better than that. Uh-uh. You got to do your own number with God. That's what God was doing here through Christ with Pilate. Uh, he's asking him a very, very personal question. Now, while this story and while this account of Pilate coming before Jesus, while it's very unique and while it's very, uh, uh, you know, dramatical, it can also be very personal as well. Very personal and very down home to each and every one of us. Yes, my friend, maybe, you know, you know you, we come to church. And yes, maybe we even tithe. And yes, we're quite religious in the eyes of other people. But, uh, is all that just hearsay to us? Or is it a first-hand experience? Uh, is everything that we, we come and see here, is it hearsay like it was with, with Pilate? Or is it first-hand knowledge? Do we come because we love him, because we want to be a part of him? Uh, I've said it before. Just because you go into your garage every day doesn't make you a car. And just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. You got to experience it for yourself. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, I mean, you, everybody goes in the garage, but you're not a car. <laughs> well, I come to church and I tithe and I... And? See, we got to turn secondhand hearsay into firsthand experience. Now, hearsay... Let me cover this just for a few minutes now. Hearsay can have its value and its importance and its reward. Hearsay. Only not within the context of Christianity. But it does have some actual value. Hearsay. Okay? See... Most of history is more or less, mostly more, it's mostly hearsay rather than first-hand experience. That's what, that's what history is. Now, I was told that there was a man named William Shakespeare or Geoffrey Chaucer who wrote a lot of great books. People told me that. And because of this man, either 
William Shakespeare or Jeffrey Chaucer, because of him, my English grades never really were in high school what they were in elementary school. Because of this guy, he was a great writer, and I couldn't figure him out. Uh, we had to read these books all the time. But all of that is hearsay to me. Uh, that's all it was. Even, my friend, in regards to who discovered America, it's hearsay. Christopher Columbus, his real name was Cristobal Colon. I don't know how they change it, uh, but it's Christopher Columbus or, or Amerigo Vespucci. Who discovered America? This, it's, all I know was of me. That's all I know. It wasn't you either, George. That I, that I know for a fact. Uh, it wasn't us. Don't blame it on us. Everything is, is hearsay. Hearsay. Uh, now, I'm also told by the astronomers that the sun is something like 92,900,000 miles away, if I'm correctly, from the earth, the sun is. Now, with that as well, I'll never know that firsthand. I'll never find that out. Uh, how hot the sun is, I'll never know it. I got to take the, the astronomer's word for it. Because everything else to me is hearsay. And that's the way it is as well. And it, the way it's got to be. With a whole lot of matters. A lot of, it, lot of it is hearsay by and large. In life. I'm told that if I put my hand on a hot iron, if I put it there for too long, my hand will be history. But I'll tell you something. I'm never going to find that out. That's all hearsay. I'll take your word for it. Uh, hearsay. But while hearsay does have its values, it does have its benefits and its rewards. Even in the realm of religion, hearsay is never enough. And especially in the realm of religion, hearsay is never enough. My son can't live off my experience. You can't live off my experience. You have to have your own personal experience with Jesus Christ yourself. In order to, for hearsay to become reality or, or reach full circle, in order for it to reach its full purpose, hearsay, hearsay must be turned into experience, especially in the realm of Christianity. Now, why is this the case? Why is it so vital and so important that hearsay be turned into experience? Let me give you two reasons that I'm going to close. Why hearsay must be turned into experience. Reason number one, hearsay must turn into experience because only experience can satisfy the longing of the human soul. I hope you heard what I said. Only experience can satisfy. I mean, I can be thirsty. Which I am. Uh, but if I don't experience this, uh, then I'm going to stay thirsty. Uh, I got to turn hearsay, <laughs> or hear taste, hallelujah, uh, into experience. You've heard me say, I'm giving two illustrations today that I use a lot, that some person taught me when I first got saved. He taught me this, and I, I use it quite a bit. When people tell me, how do you know there's a God? What is my answer? Come on, those of you who have been with me a while. Huh? Two things. Never mind, if you've been with me, how long must you be with me? Hallelujah. It's one of my favorite illustrations. I'm giving you two of them today, the garage one and this one. Uh, I tell them, because especially when I used to interview uh, convicts and uh, guys in jail and stuff, they'd always tell me, they'd be real skeptical. How do you know there's a God, eh? And I would say, well, have you ever had a toothache? And every one of them, every one of them, 100% of said, oh, yeah, man, and it hurt. <laughs> and I tell them, how do I know it? <laughs> Come on, smarty pants. Uh, 
See, you, you have to experience it for yourself. Right? Do things. That's the way it is with Christianity. It has to be turned into first-hand experience. See, the sad and the bad feeling of a, of a toothache, it's got to be experienced firsthand before we can understand its true realities. And so it is with Jesus. Mere knowledge of God is not enough. Look at John 4, 39. John 4, 39. Told you to keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be looking at a few other scriptures here. John 4, 39. Through 42. Do you have it? What are we doing again for the newcomers? We're making a joyful noise. What's a joyful noise? That's a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Boy, I love to hear that. We should write a song like this. We start a rap song with that, huh? It'd be a good rap. Hallelujah. John 4.39 says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of who? The woman. Remember the woman at the well? She went and she became an evangelist. And a lot of people from that city believed on him because of her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of hearsay, not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We believe what you said. Yes, that got our, you know, our, our spiritual adrenaline going. That got our heart a little bit inquisitive. But now we know of ourselves, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know for ourselves, first-hand experience. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Ah. Can't nobody. I mean, I've said it myself to myself because I talk to myself sometimes. <laughs> I said, man, if nobody else on this planet would believe in Christ, they got another thing coming with me. Because I know nobody could change my life. Devil didn't change my life. Devil wanted me in hell. Wanted me overdosed. But Jesus changed my life. Uh, though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. You have to be resolute in here. As for me and my house, uh, even if it's just me by myself, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what happened here. Uh, mere knowledge of God is not enough. Knowledge is queen, but experience is king. That's what it is. We can know. That's good to know. That's a queen. It's got power, but experience is king. See, we could be experts on bread or water. You could even be a cook. You could know a thousand recipes. But you could still starve to death. Uh, unless you tasted of these things firsthand. And even thus, my friend, no knowledge of God could ever replace the experience of knowing God through Christ. See, we live in a society that's searching and searching like crazy for answers. And actually searching for God. They want God. I was thinking about a young man that came to our church a few years ago, and he sat in the back. Came for about almost two months. I knew this man. I had met him through different, never knew him real, real good, but he knew of us, and he had a split up in his family. And he was looking for God. He was searching. He came. Hearsay brought him here because he'd heard that people could change. He, he knew a lot of you. A lot of you know him. 
And I remember I'd see him, and I never really got to talk to him too much. But I heard secondhand that he told some of you, he says, well, maybe this God thing will work. Maybe it'll get my family back together. I don't know. He says, but I'm, I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to try it. But if it doesn't work, I'm going to leave. Well, he left. See, because he never knew firsthand. He never, he, he knew it secondhand experience, but he never had the firsthand experience. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't, he never got it. I just talked to a son the other day, and his son, man, hates him and loves him. But if he would have stayed, I guarantee you his son would love him right now. I guarantee you his son would be all happy because his son told me that. He said, man, I wish my dad would have made it there. Uh, see, we got to turn hearsay into firsthand experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what the Bible says. First, you got to taste. Let me want to see. I want to see. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to see. No, you got to taste first. I wanted to see. See, through knowledge, through hearsay, some may know God, that God loves them, but they're not able to save through first-hand experience. Like Paul, the apostle said, Jesus, uh, he talks about him there in the book of Hebrews, who loved me and died for me. That's first-hand experience. Jesus, the son of God, who loved me and died and gave his life for me. Not just the rabbi, not just the women's home, but me. Jesus, who loved me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. I figured that one out. Uh, are you unable to speak of Jesus in the first person singular? Uh, when we sing just to be close to you, is it really coming from your heart? Because I heard that and I wrote that in my sermon right now. When you guys were singing it here. And it went right along with my sermon. I said, that song goes right along with my sermon, though they didn't know it. But some of you just sing it, just to be close to you. Then some of you really sing it. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to oh, When it comes from here, it's my desire. Uh, you're singing it from the depths. You don't care if the, who's watching you. Uh, see, that's the key to Christianity. You don't care when you really know what happened to you. Uh, you put your foot down and their whole neighborhood could be watching. Anybody, uh, look at Steve. Yeah, look at me. Uh, <laughs> Again, hearsay is good. But unless we translate hearsay into experience, we will never come to that spiritual certainty that alone can really truly satisfy. Then secondly, and with this I close, first-hand experience of Jesus Christ is so important and so vital because without it, we will lack a genuine passion from which to share and to witness about him to other people. Did you hear what I said? Without that first-hand experience, we're going to lack the passion. Uh, we're not going to be able to witness for him. We're not going to share him with nobody. Some of us haven't been witnessing or sharing Jesus because either your experience is now a little shallow, it's grown shallow than like it was before, or some of you have never experienced his love or his power at all. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Verse 40. Without this first-hand experience, you lack that passion to share him. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If you will, thou can make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and says to him, I will, be thou clean. 
And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. And Jesus said unto him, See that you say nothing to any man, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. In other words, don't say nothing to nobody, just the priests. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city but was without in the desert places and it came to him from every quarter. See, Jesus tells him, you know, don't, don't say nothing. <laughs> hey, you're talking to me. I, said, I mean, you know, hey, I want to be obedient to you. I mean, you're, you're, but you should have seen me yesterday and the day before that. The time before, I mean, I was a walking maniac. I was all messed up. I can't help but publish and ablaze with what has happened to me. Ah, Jesus Christ changed my life. He says, I, I can't help it. The prophet Jeremiah, you study his life. He was a preacher. He was a preacher. He'd go preach, and he had very little results. The Bible says Jeremiah would preach, and nobody would hardly get saved. Nobody would get touched. For just a remnant. Bible says he got all perturbed, he got all mad, he got upset. He wanted to quit and throw in the towel. Ever wanted to do that? Yes. He wanted to. So, man, no results. Uh, I know about that. Uh, but he says, you know, but I, I, he says, I, I can't hold my peace. He says, there's a fire. Shut up in my bones. There's a fire. Uh, did I say that? That was Monday. But Sunday's coming. Uh, that was on Monday, Blue Monday. Even prophets get blue. Uh, but I get bold come Sunday. Uh, it's time to preach. Maybe they didn't get no results, but there's results. Maybe going to come this time. He says, I can't help it. And in the New Testament, how about Peter and John? They got arrested for preaching the gospel. They throw them in jail and they tell them, hold your peace. We're going to release you, but you better not say nothing. What is, is their answer? Their answer is, hey, I can't help but witness of those things that I have both seen and heard. You want to throw me in jail? Hey, it's all right. But I can't keep my peace. Something has happened to me. It's experiential. It's not hearsay. It's a second hand. I know in whom I have believed. Uh, and I'm persuaded. When you have that kind of boldness, when you have that kind of experience, look out. Ah. Uh, See, you cannot silence a Christianity that's coupled with experience. Did you hear what I said? You can't silence it. A Christianity, a genuine Christianity that has experience along with it. You can't silence that any more than you can try and stop the Niagara from falling. Try and stop it. You can't do that. The same thing with genuine Christianity. It can't be stopped. Some of you, you need to hear this message today because, and then you need to act on it. And the reason I know it because like I said earlier, I didn't want to preach this. I wanted something more meaty. I wanted something more profound. I have other things that I was working on. The guy told me, no. Uh -uh. He told me, what has been happening with the youth is on Friday and Saturday. They've been having an experience and a half. And we need to catch up. We need, we need to stay right along the same vein. Uh, some of you, you need, you need a touch from God. Suddenly, hallelujah, a touch from heaven. Uh, see, I wanted, some, I wanted to teach something else. But something kept compelling me, compelling me, bringing me back to this. Because some of you have been coming here a while and you, you, you haven't tasted, you've wasted. 
You've wasted opportunities. Uh, you yet don't know that Jesus is bad to the bone, bad to the T-bone. Matthew chapter 7, then I'm done. This is very important. Matthew chapter 7, then I'm done. Verses 28 and 29. 29 is the key. Do you have it? Matthew 7, 28 says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were, what? Astonished, touched by Jesus at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having, what? And not as the scribes. What was wrong with the scribes? The scribes taught out of a second-hand hearsay. They hadn't experienced Jesus. But Jesus taught as one having authority. Been there, done that. Where's he been? He's been in heaven. He knows what he's talking about. He ain't talking out of the side of his neck like the scribes. The scribes were teaching out of hearsay. They get behind the pulpit and sing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing. Shut up. Uh, I mean, we really need to bring in the sheaves. Uh, it's got to come from here. The scribes were teaching out of a secondhand hearsay. They didn't have the experience that Jesus had. Uh, to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul knew from a firsthand experience. And we need to have that as well. There's no substitute for a firsthand experience with Jesus. Uh, they didn't know nothing about Jesus intimately. Salvation and evangelism are birth and they're rooted in certainty. That's what I've been wanting to say the whole sermon. Salvation, your experience, and evangelism are rooted and birth in certainty. Uh, that's how you'll be a witness because you're certain. You're certain that without your witness, people are going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell. But some of us, we act like it's nothing. Oh, well, I guess so. They don't want to accept Jesus. They're going to go to hell. That's what's going to happen. The word of God is true. It changed my life. And if it says that without Christ, my God, that's what we got to get to Iran. That's what we got to get to Iraq. Man, those people think, yes, yeah, some of us are going to die probably when we get there in the beginning. I don't know. But we got to tell them. If not, their blood is on our hands. But the only people that are going to make it out there are people that have a first-hand experience with Jesus. It's going to have to be first-hand. If Keith's going to preach around the world, he's going to have to have to be certain over here. Because he's going to go to Iran and Iraq. That's what they told him yesterday. Hallelujah. Huh? Get a ticket on an airplane. Hallelujah. Where's Keith at? Well, he left, but never came back. Hallelujah. Just, they said the whole world, Keith, the whole world. You know, Not just Iran and Iraq. But we've got to be certain. Because those Iraqis, those, those Arabs, they're going to look at our faces. They're going to... I got on the plane to Australia. And I'm sitting there and the man comes in and he sits next to me. Stunk. He was coming from Menendao. You know where Menendao is. It's on the other side of the Philippines. He had to fly all the way to Manila, which is ours. And then fly in order to fly to Australia. But that was God. He must needs go by Manila and sit next to me. So he gets in there and he looks at me and, you know, all drunk, drunk like a skunk, sitting there. And then I tell him, hey, how's your name? He says, my name's Gary. I said, Steve, you know, right? We begin to converse and talk. Then he says, so what do you do? <laughs> I said, it's church. 
I'm not kidding you, for about three minutes he was like this. And he was a very conversating kind of a guy. He'd been conversating. I couldn't understand the bloke. He bloke, a bloke, bloke. Oh, Mac, that, I mean, that is, that language. I had to keep telling him, what'd you say, what'd you say, what'd you say? You know, oh yeah. You know, cock out man, you know. I mean, English cock needs too much, but this is worse. This is terrible. You know. <laughs> but uh, I knew God had put me next to him. Uh, but when I said church, I'm not kidding you, for three minutes, just like this. <laughs> then he turns to me and he says, don't you dare try to convert me throughout the flight of this plane. <laughs> I understood that. <laughs> so I'm just there. Then, then, then he starts talking about God. Then he starts talking about the Bible. Then it, I said, Pilate, you know, this ain't Herod, this is Pilate, you know. Because, you know, I just, and then he tells me, I'm going to ask you three questions about the Bible. He knew the Bible real good. He used to live with a preacher when he was 17. And he says, I could hear it through walls. Those preachers are phonies. And then he asked me three questions. I only got one right. And he goes, man, if I was, I wouldn't go to your church. If I was listening to hear you preach, I wouldn't go. I said, that's your prerogative, Gary. Fine. I said, but if you were going to go for a surgery and you knew a doctor was real, real good, but he didn't, hadn't passed uh, the test in a while, would you rather him do it or, or a young guy that's just, that knows all the answers of the books but couldn't cut you up good? <laughs> Who would you want to do surgery on you? You know? But it were dumb questions. I mean, but I didn't want to mess with them. It were dumb questions, you know, like who created it, who was there and all that stuff. Oh, my God, you know? But then, you know, but I know that he saw that I was resolute. And, I, you know, he didn't get saved. I'm not going to say that he got saved, but God touched him. That I know. God brought me there because, you know, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. Uh, see, some people get persu- persuaded instantly. Some people happens gradually. I don't know how it happens with you. With me, I'm not going to lie to you. It happened like that. But some of you, I understand. I'm putting the sermon together. It happens gradually. A few sermons, a few services. But eventually, come on, you've got to turn hearsay into experience. He's got to become your own personal Lord and Savior. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. The reason for my title, Bad to the T-Bone, is because of our upcoming event. We need to witness. We need to see that place packed out with young people because eventually the parents will come as well. But we're not going to witness if we haven't experienced Jesus Christ firsthand. Because I mentioned earlier that a passion to witness, a passion is birthed for evangelism through a firsthand experience. We can't help but speak, Peter and John say, of the things we have both seen and heard. Some of you here this morning, you have to be here or else God wouldn't have given me the sermon. You haven't felt a touch from God in a while. While it's Extreme Revival Week. Extreme Revival Week and it's been happening in San Jose. I was there on Friday night. That's what God wants for our lives. But I want to pray for those of you that need a touch from heaven. I want to pray for those of you that need a touch from God because you're going to become a much better Christian, a genuine Christian when you experience rather than just have hearsay in your, in your mind but you experience Christ in your heart. You've been coming here for a while but you haven't been touched by God. He wants to touch you. You're not in Herod's predicament, condition, position where Jesus didn't even speak to him. But you're in Pilate's position. You've entered into God's zone here this morning, Christ's zone. 
and he's been talking to you on a one-on-one basis if that's you and you want me to pray for you and I'm ready and prepared to pray for you I'm going to ask you if that's you here this morning just stand to your feet right there where you're at need a touch from heaven I'm going to pray for you and God knows I wanted to go to the crab feed last night but I needed to separate myself and, and it was just for this sermon here to pray this morning for you anybody else and you know who you are some of you I can point you out but I'm not going to do that thank God though you're still a pilot you're not a Herod thank God that God is still asking you questions thank God that God is still prodding and speaking to you anybody else this is my last call that we're going to pray you need a touch from heaven you need a touch from God anybody else is every head is still bowed and every act of the Spirit of God moving in ministry you need to turn hearsay second hand knowledge into first hand experience anybody else this is my last call you want to be included in this prayer you haven't stood up yet, but you want to do so now. Quickly stand on your feet right there where you're at. Hallelujah. Those of you that are standing, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands right there where you're at. Raise your hands, please. Father, as they raise their hands in surrenderance to you, I'm simply praying and asking you to do what you are so good at touching their hearts changing their lives Lord I've tried to even hold my peace because I don't want this to be me Lord God I want it to be you touch it by your spirit Jesus we want your power we want your presence we want your glory to reign upon us now thank you Jesus those of you standing, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer to me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins, all my selfishness, all my fleshly deeds. I am sorry. I need a touch from you. I open up my heart and I sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, invite you to come in. I don't just want to hear about you from the pastor the preaching but I want to experience you firsthand personally only between you and I even me and you in Jesus name I pray Amen God, let me say one prayer one more time Father you know what you've done to these hearts that are standing here today Lord God reveal yourself in an intimate personal precious powerful way I've done my fleshly part Lord God tried to preach in the spirit Lord God but I pray that you would come and reign supreme by your Holy Spirit Lord God let it be experiential Lord God as Christianity is when it's genuine when it's real when it's from the heavens Lord and let them share this now with a passion like never before let us be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the world and beginning in Jerusalem, especially for this T-Bone concert, Lord God. It would compel them that they would not go to hell, 